0: So we've been in a series called the messengers over these past few weeks and we're going to talk about sharing our story today because this really is a big piece of this idea of god calling us all to be messengers we understand that god has called us to be messengers that he's called us to do his work and that you and i have a responsibility to share the gospel we understand that we all have relationships and influence and things that god has given us But a lot of times we don't know exactly what the next step for that is because we all don't understand that we have this story. And so we may be intimidated or we may not feel like our story is very good or very important. We all have a story, though, whether we believe it or not. And sometimes we struggle because we think that our story doesn't have the impact that others do maybe our story is not as special or as weighty or as significant because maybe it doesn't have the wow factor you know the thing that where someone was you know destitute laying in a ditch you know and and they were you know thinking they were going to breathe their last and then a light shone from heaven an angel comes down like and you're just like I I can't compete with that like I, I I grew up in a church and my Sunday school teacher asked me if I wanted to ask Jesus into my heart like maybe maybe that's your story and you just feel like that doesn't compare and so you don't feel like you really have something of worth to share and maybe you don't even know like where to begin with that or maybe you do understand a little bit about your story but you don't understand the courage and how to get there by being courageous and how do I share my story in a compelling way anyways like how do I do this well here's what I want us to all agree upon and understand right from the onset every story that has resulted in a person placing their faith in christ is awesome every single story that has resulted in a person placing their faith in christ is awesome this is not a thing where we're trying to outdo each other to see who's got the best testimony right This is all the same great, amazing testimony that God could save someone like you and me. That God could transform a heart that that, that was hard, that was rebellious. That God could love us right in our state, no matter what we've done, where we've been, the, the choices that we've made. Every single salvation story, every person who has done this has an awesome story because it never, never ceases to amaze the miracle that takes place. You and I get excited about like stuff that we see, right? Like it'd be awesome if we saw like someone who couldn't walk like be healed and now they can walk again. We'd go like, "Oh, wow, that's so powerful! Wow, God is so powerful. He can make someone who didn't walk walk, or someone who couldn't see see." And, and we read these stories in the Bible, or someone who had this awful diagnosis that maybe was going to take their lives, and all of a sudden that person has a clear medical diagnosis, and maybe that person been you and that's awesome that you you, you've experienced the miracle of that it's awesome that you've experienced that story but no matter how awe-filled those stories may be there is no greater story than someone being destined for an eternity separated from God forever and now God snatches them out of the throes of of hell and brings them into his family and loves them as one of his own children there's no greater story than that no matter how powerful everything else seems no matter how how impressive everything else seems there's nothing that is more powerful than god changing the eternal destiny of someone so now that we can be called his sons and his daughters. so here's what i want us to do okay stop minimizing your story stop it stop it look at your neighbor and say stop it stop minimizing your story so many people minimize their stories and they think that it's just not compelling to share because the basic truths exist in every story that ends in salvation the same truths they all exist Sin, acknowledgement of sin, repentance, and acceptance of Christ's free gift. And being welcomed into God's family. They all have those elements. It doesn't matter the surrounding circumstances. We all have those same elements in our stories if we are Christ followers. If we have truly placed our faith in Christ. And that story is amazing no matter what circumstances surround it. So here's what we're going to do today. We're gonna examine the testimony of the apostle Paul and how he shared his story with the Romans who had arrested him. So go over to the book of Acts and chapter 21, and we're going to read a little bit of text today about this story after Paul gets arrested. So this is Paul, this guy was formerly called Saul as we read in scripture, and he was an educated guy. He came from the right family, he went to the right school, He had the best teacher, like the teacher. If you remember from last week, we talked about this Gamaliel guy who like spoke up and like told all the guys not to mess with Peter and John and the disciples. Because if this is from God, then we can't stop it. That's the guy who taught Paul he was super well respected and he was the guy that you wanted to go and sit under his teaching and Paul sat under his teaching out of all the tribes in the nation of Israel Paul was from like the one that historically was known for being like the favored tribe the tribe of Benjamin out of all of the sons of Isaac Benjamin used to always get like a double portion of everything you know like when all of his other brothers would get one scoop of mashed potatoes he got two you know at Christmas time everybody else will get one Christmas present Benjamin got two. He would always get like these favored blessings from his father. And so anyone who came from that lineage and from the tribe of Benjamin, the Israelites thought, wow, this person is favored. This person is special. Paul was from that tribe. He he grew up with that heritage. He was a person who taught the law, a well-respected Pharisee. Paul calls himself a Pharisee of the Pharisees, which being a Pharisee was like a huge deal in and of itself. And Paul's saying, well, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Like, man, I was a well-thought-of, well-respected guy. He got to park his camel up front at all of the, you know, grocery stores, at all of the, you know, restaurants everywhere. You know, it was a big deal that Paul was this person. But when this church thing of Jesus Christ began to emerge and... The the religious leaders were persecuting the church. Paul was in on that with his zeal, with his passion, thinking that in persecuting the church, he's actually doing God's work. He still thinks he's doing this in the name of God because this isn't right. These people claiming that this Jesus is the Christ and Jesus is the Messiah. And so he was more than willing to throw his lot in with being a part of catching these people, outing these people. And he had developed for himself. Quite a reputation of being a person to be afraid of if you were a follower of Jesus. Because this guy was passionate. He was zealous. But on his way to Damascus to go arrest some more Christians and deal out more persecution, Paul encounters Jesus and he gets knocked off of his horse and he gets blinded. And then he goes and, and, and actually uh, gets baptized. He regains his sight and he begins to start now a, a ministry as he's trained up under different disciples and apostles. And, and now he's teaching the Bible. Wouldn't you think if you were alive back then, wouldn't you think that like that was like a covert operation to like arrest more Christians? Like, wouldn't that be like the perfect covert operation? That, oh yeah, I'm sure, yeah, he became a Christian, Mm mm-hmm, yeah, oh yeah, we're going to welcome him in our meetings, and people struggled with this. They had a hard time thinking that this wasn't some kind of bait-and-switch sneaky thing that Paul was going to come in and actually find the groups of Christians, and they were going to have just some big, you know, arrest and persecution thing happen. And so he struggled uh, with certain groups in his ministry, which is why he primarily went out and ministered to the greek people and instead of uh the jews who first uh heard christ there and and who knew about jesus so we're going to read about his story because this is kind of the end of his story where paul gets arrested and i think personally that as you read these last few chapters in the book of Acts, I think that the Apostle Paul was trying to influence the influencers. He was trying to get to the people who had authority in the land at the time. And there was nobody greater than Caesar. Okay? And I believe that Paul was trying to get this audience with Caesar because he, he knew that if he could preach the gospel to Caesar and Caesar could become a follower of Jesus, that that would influence the entire region that all of Rome had control over. And so incrementally he gets to talk to like the next uh, political leader and then he gets to the next leader and then he gets to the next leader and he's working his way and I believe that that's his, his mission and his goal because he understands the power of influence. And so this is, here he's arrested and he's being put on trial and he gets put on trial several times and gives the same account but this is what he says in Acts 21 and verse 37 As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune... Now, the tribune was a person who had under his command a thousand troops. And so this is a military leader that he's engaged with, that he's talking to. So that's what this tribune is. He talks to the tribune and he says, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Sicilia, a citizen of no obscure country. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in C- Sicilia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed towards Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them into bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. And as I went on my way and drew near to to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but they did not understand. And the voice of the one who was speaking to me, and I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, he came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait, rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name? I love the way that this story first starts out where this tribune has Paul as his prisoner and he begins to ask him questions about like who he is. He wants to know why is this guy ended up at this point in life? What has caused him to be brought here? Because like he probably doesn't know a whole lot about this guy. He's thinking, are you that Egyptian who like led... That crew of like 4,000 assassins and like all those people that, like, is that, is that you? Is that why you're here? And he's like, no. And he's like, I- I'm, I'm, I'm Paul. And he begins then to tell his story. And I began to think about this idea that you and I need to live our life in a way that causes other people to ask questions. This Roman this tribune or this commander of a thousand soldiers he asked this question and it opened up an opportunity for Paul then to share his story he then moves into sharing what his life was like before he knew Jesus he let them know how he was an enemy of God and then he then describes the moment he knew Jesus was the Christ and he describes how he then obeyed Jesus through water baptism he began to just share this whole story He began to tell them about how his life was before Jesus, how he was living, what his value system was, the things that he was doing. He openly shared that. And I think that this is really important for us to get if we're going to be effective communicators of our story as messengers of God. Sharing your story effectively requires authenticity. It requires authenticity and vulnerability because for you to be authentic, we have to be vulnerable. And Paul's being very vulnerable here by letting everybody know, like, listen, this is what God has done. This is who I was. And this is not who I am anymore, but this is who I was. I mean, he's openly telling them, these are the things that I did because his motive was to make sure they understood how much he needed grace And how Jesus was the one who showed him grace and has been so faithful even to someone like him. And that he's willing to be put in this position of being arrested. And even willing to go all the way to the end to death for the name of Jesus. Someone who once persecuted people in the name of Jesus is now willing to be persecuted himself for the name of Jesus. And he's trying to help them understand and grasp this concept. Let's go over to Philippians 3 real quick. Philippians chapter 3, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi. This uh, writing that Paul did to the church in Philippians happened way before um, this section in Acts that we read. And I know that may be confusing because you had to flip ahead in your Bible to read that, but the Bible's not chronologically prepared, just so you know. Um, so you can't just read it as, as a chronological story. Some people don't know that, and maybe, maybe that helped you today. Um, but this was a letter that he wrote at a different period, but he's close to the end of his life there in Acts as we're reading that. So Philippians chapter 3, he wrote to the church in Philippi, and he said this in verse 11, uh, I mean verse 1. He said, Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision. In other words, we're set apart, who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And listen to this. And may share in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is a much different guy. He's letting them know, this is who I've been. And this are all the great things about my life before I knew Christ. And guess what? All of my trophies, they're nothing. All of my accolades, he said, they're nothing. Nothing else matters to Paul except the fact that he knows Jesus. All the good things. A lot of us, man, we, we think that sharing our story just has to do with the bad things. But can I tell you that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ and he makes all things new, that means he makes all things new, not just the bad things new. A lot of us have this idea that yes, Jesus forgives me of my sin. Yes, Jesus uh, does away with my negative past. Yes, he does. But all things doesn't just include the negative. It even includes the positive things that I could look back on and think I somehow am significant or special because of what I've accomplished. Even my trophies, even my gain, I count as loss. All of that, all of that, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all of it, all of it, he said, is rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ. In other words, Christ is more valuable than even the things I did before I knew him that I would have thought were pretty good. A lot of people in our world today and in our culture, they bank on this idea of being a good person. You'll hear people who don't know Christ, use that type of language. They'll say, well, I'm a good person. What they mean by that is I'm living my life in a moral way. And that's good. You should live your life in a moral way. It sure helps society to be a lot better, right? It it, it helps because there are people who don't know Jesus who are benevolent, who are very philanthropic, There are people that don't know Jesus that give to the poor, uh, go on trips to foreign countries to bring aid and, and to do kind deeds. It doesn't take a Christian to do those things. It could just take a person who has compassion and who wants to help and make a difference. They can do that without even knowing Christ. But the difference is that Christ changes everything, not just the things I do, good or bad. Because if I'm just trusting in my own deeds, then I could just be like Paul where he rattles off all of those things that he did and he could have said, and I'm trusting in those things plus Jesus. No, he's saying even those things are nothing. Even all the good things I did before I knew Jesus. Even all the things that made me special in the eyes of people before I knew Jesus. He said, I count them as nothing because now all that matters is Jesus because Jesus is greater than even the things I've done that people, that society would deem as good, those are dung, they're nothing, they're rubbish, they're worthless. Man, that's hard for us to get because we don't like giving up our trophies, right? I still have my trophies from T-Ball, man. I mean, it's it's hard to give up your trophies because our trophies are things that we earn. And, like, we want to bring those along with us and go. It, but, but you see, that the, here's the thing about the gospel the gospel requires that we give up our trophies because we can't trust in what we've done coupled with what Jesus did that makes our salvation complete. It's Jesus only. You see, it's Jesus only, so we've got to leave the trophies behind. We've got to leave those things behind. We can't trust in those things, because if we do trust in those things, we're saying that I'm pretty good, and Jesus just makes me better. No, no, no. We were wretched. We were lost. We were dead inside. We were rebellious towards God, and we needed His grace and His mercy to forgive us and restore us and bring us into right standing with God, and nothing, nothing, nothing I could do on my own own could help assist with that jesus didn't need me to throw him an assist it's jesus alone because he gets the glory not jesus and me kind of like i'm helping jesus out no you're not (laughs) he doesn't need your help you need all of his help because the christian life is one of dependence on christ And Paul understood this, which is why he even said the good things. And people were like, well, no. Well, Paul, you were a pretty good guy. I mean, you didn't know. You were just misinformed. No, he's like, no, I wasn't. Like, all that stuff doesn't matter because all that matters now is Jesus. And as we get the courage to share our story with others, we have to understand the value of Jesus and stop putting our hope in us being a good person because it's not about us being good people, it's about Jesus in us being good and God being great. And everything that we do in the name of Jesus that is good, everything we do in the name of Jesus that is good, should point people to Jesus, not to us. So there are no trophies for me to gain. I have gained Christ, there is no greater trophy. There is no greater win, there is no greater achievement than me having been brought into the family of God. And even that achievement is not something I did on my own. The only thing that I did was I committed the sin that made my forgiveness necessary. And then I had trusted in him, even the faith. Listen, Ephesians 2 even says that the faith that we have is a gift from God. So we can't even boast in the faith that we had to believe in Jesus because even the faith that Jesus gave us to believe in him was a gift from him. Isn't that amazing? So it's literally all about him, literally. And I know that that makes some of us sad because we like it being about us. But it's not. When we say it's not about you, we literally mean it's not about you, it's not about me It's all about Jesus, and it's all about us living this life of total dependence. That's why Jesus uses verbiage like we have to die to ourselves, pick up our cross daily, die to ourselves. That's why this type of language is used, because it's not about us. It's about Christ in us, the hope of glory. Not you in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not Christ in you and you help out sometimes. No, it's just Jesus Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So the gospel is about transparency and authenticity because nobody's story is perfect. Nobody's story is clean without challenges. The authenticity of Paul's story actually brings glory to God and it connects with the heart of other people because he was not concerned with impressing other people with himself. He wasn't concerned with how they thought about him. His motive was just making sure that they understood how much they needed the grace of God because he made himself an example by being vulnerable and saying, because this is how much I need the grace of God. Don't you connect with real people better than fake people anyways? Don't you go, man, I like hanging out with like real people where I can just be myself and I don't feel this this pressure to have to be someone else or impress someone or for someone to, oh, well, they said this. Oh, I don't know about them. Or, oh, they do that. Oh, oh, you know, or yeah, all that stuff, man. It's just so great when you can just hang out with real people and, and that's what the Church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to be. People who are just real with each other because guess what, just, just because we found Jesus doesn't mean that our life is perfect and we've got it all figured out, right? But we've got the most important thing figured out, and that's that we need Jesus. And as long as we keep that as the main thing, God is going to work in us. The rest of the things that need to be worked out for his glory as we continue to seek him, to get to know him, to grow in him, to surround ourselves with other people who can speak life into us and help us walk through things without fear of judgment or or being kicked out or ostracized or being being, being thought of differently. No, no, no. Like, that's where you're at, man. That's your story. That's why I hate it when people find out that I'm a pastor that don't know me in the context of our church because they get weird around me. And, and and I bet you have some friends that when they find out you're a Christian or you go to church, they start acting weird. Like maybe you have a coworker you've worked with for like you know three four months and you really like that person. This happens to me like at the gym because all of my coworkers are Christian because it's required. But but but, but when I'm like in the gym. When I'm in the gym, like I, I, I made friends with some, some guys because, you know, you go in, you do your thing, you know, you're clanging and banging, lifting, you know, all that stuff. And guys don't talk to each other. and you're just, uh, But every now and then you need a spot. And you're like, hey, bro, can I have a spot? Because that's how I talk in the gym. Hey, bro, can I have a spot? And they're like, yeah, I'll give you a spot. And they're like, all right, yeah. And like you're working out and stuff. And, 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 and then one day the conversation comes up because they know you, they see you, you're there at the same time they're there. And then they say, well, what do you do for a living? Uh, my motivational speaker no, I to stop. <laughs> no, here, here's here's what here's what happens every time without fail I'll say oh, I'm, I'm the pastor at uh, Ed Bettendorf Christian Church and they'll go oh 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 well um uh you know if there's anything I've said over these past few months Uh, all of a sudden it becomes like confessional time or something like that. It's super weird for me because, and and here's what I always tell them. And this is what I always tell them to diffuse the situation. sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But when people start treating me that way, I'll say, did I act any different towards you before you knew that I was a pastor? And I'm like, "Well, well, no. And I'm like, well then why don't, Let's do this. Let's make an agreement. You do your best job of being you. I'll do my best job of being me. And if you ever need anything, you know I'm here for you. Oh, oh, okay. Okay, well, that's cool, I guess, you know. And, I, and uh, sometimes people can handle that and sometimes they can't. But, some, but sometimes people, they just, they, they, they don't understand. But man, isn't it so great to be able to just be real, to just be yourself, to be able to connect with people in an authentic way? And can I tell you, that that's how you're gonna win the loss to Jesus. Not by you acting like everything in your life is perfect because now all of a sudden people start going, oh, you mean you have problems too? Yeah, yeah. You know? Oh, it. And, and I love, Christians are the worst at this, like we're pretty bad. Where we'll actually um, like tell our testimony or stories of things that we feel like there's been long enough distance in between when it happened and the present day that we can't be like judged too harshly for it. So we'll say things like, you know, 10 years ago my wife and I had an argument and you know, things like that. <laughs> Man, people are looking for like, hey, yesterday my wife and I weren't very happy with each other. Oh, what? Really? Well, you're the pastor. Oh, I know and we go through things just like everybody else cuz we're people too, right? And we have worries, concerns, things that bother us, we, mistakes we made, things we say we shouldn't say, things we do we shouldn't do, all that stuff, I do. I'm sorry to disappoint you all. But, <laughs> but that's the part that connects with people when you begin to present Jesus, Jesus doesn't seem like this unachievable thing for only the perfect crowd who are just all these saintly people who've got everything in life figured out. No, it's for real people who are still trusting in Jesus with their every day because he's walking with us and he's still working in us, this idea of sanctification for his glory. And I'm not perfect and neither are you, right? And when people see that and they understand that, they connect with that. And that's part of sharing your story is be real, be authentic. Be authentic. Don't think you have to have it all together. Paul led with vulnerability. Let's lead with vulnerability. Your story can impact other people, no matter how simple that it may seem. I just heard a story that I want to share with you. Um, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine. And uh, the church's longtime office manager. She's been the office manager there for several years. Um, She just got baptized at 56 years old, and she had been raised in church her entire life. She got up in front of the church and shared her story on the day of her baptism, which he told me I think was just a few weeks ago, it was like two, three weeks ago. She got up and shared her story by saying this, I have a boring story. (laughs) She said, I was raised in a Lutheran church, I was sprinkled as an infant, and I never saw the need to get baptized as an adult. I appreciate my parents' heart wanting me to get baptized, but I see in Scripture how Jesus wants me to submit and obey, and I'm choosing to be baptized instead of them just choosing it for me. So maybe there's someone out there who feels like their story is boring too, and you just needed to hear that today, so maybe you would see that if God is speaking to me, maybe he's speaking to you as well. He said that day, he said six other people got up and got baptized because they said that story resonated with me about that lady saying their story was boring and they wanted to get baptized and they put their faith and trust in Christ and who had never uh, even truly been living for Christ the way that they should have been. And then this lady's testimony just creates this pocket of people who go, yeah, that's me, I'm you, right? Because she had the courage to say, hey, I had this story that I Am calling boring. Several people had life changed that day, and the church celebrated that because a longtime office manager who everybody knew had a boring story. Here's your big idea Never underestimate how God can use your story for his glory. And you know it's true because it rhymes. <laughs> Never underestimate how God can use your story for his glory. Never underestimate that, because all of us have a story. It takes vulnerability, authenticity, and it takes honesty, and it takes me not thinking more highly of myself than I should. It takes humility, and it takes trust and dependence on God. It takes an awe of the gospel and not depending on myself. Because everybody's got a story. And maybe your story is like that office manager's story. Maybe you would say, I have a boring story. Well, somebody needs to hear it. And it could move. It could move somebody from one point in their life to another point. It could move them to a place of growth. It could move them to a place of decision. It could move them to a place of wanting to go public with their faith. It could move them to a place of courage. Because it's like, you know, one person takes that, candle that's lit and lights that other candle that's not lit yet and then it lights another and it lights another and it all starts with just that spark of someone who's willing to say yes to greater things someone who's willing to deny self and say okay lord what do you want me to do who do you want me to talk to today is that is it that co-worker uh, lord just help me to be like more attentive help my antennas to be raised to the different opportunities around me because I know there's opportunities all around me. Maybe even in your own home with your children or your spouse or with a friend, with a neighbor, whoever it may be, maybe there's an opportunity closer than you think to share what you thought was boring, to share what you thought maybe was not that big of a deal, but God's going to use your story for his glory because you're not going to underestimate it anymore because it's not about you having this great compelling story. It's about the power of God using what you have in your hand and doing something great with it. I think Jesus showed us this over and over again. Remember when we went through the gospel of Mark, there's like 4,000 people here. How are we going to feed all these people? We have to send them away. Oh, we've got a little lunch here. We've got a few loaves and a couple of fish and everybody gets filled to overflow. And God takes something small. Look even back in the Old Testament, when God first calls Moses, when Moses comes to God, he's like, Lord, I don't speak good. I have all these limitations and I can't do this. And I don't know how I'm going to get in the, the court of Pharaoh without being arrested or killed. And he said, what do you have in your hand, Moses? And he said, I've got a stick. And he says, okay, throw your walking stick on the ground. And And Moses throws his walking stick on the ground and it turns into a snake. And God uses this simple stick and does something that seems simple, something that seems insignificant, something small like a lunch of just a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish, a stick in someone's hand. He takes something small that looks like it can't be anything special on its own. And guess what? It's not on its own. On its own, it's just a stick. On its own, it's just bread and fish. But in the hands of God, it becomes something miraculous. Your story may look simple, and it is, but it can become something powerful in the hands of God if you will trust Him with it. And you will use it and have the courage to be a messenger for God, to be a messenger of grace, to have that passion, that fire, that willingness. Lord, give me an opportunity to share my story with somebody. Lord, help us do this because all of us have a story to share. Help us to share our stories with courage, and with faith in you, trusting you for the outcome, you for the end result. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen.